in God's house to hear the Word of God preached with such boldness and power and then to be lifted up and stirred by this great gospel music. Brother Charles, just thank you that I could just be here tonight, be a part of what's happened. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. The book of Hebrews, chapter 10. And I'm going to begin to read in verse 19. Hebrews, chapter 10, in verse 19. And I want to preach tonight on this, subst- on this subject, no substitute for the church. No substitute for for the church, from the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. And the Bible says in Hebrews 10 verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil, that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. God, put your words in my mouth and your thoughts in my mind, and I pray you'll give our hearts ears to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to us tonight. I pray, O God... I pray, O God, in Jesus' name, you will so impact us tonight that we'll be moved out of our ruts, shaken out of our routines, delivered from our spiritual comas. Lord, send a revival and let it begin in me. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen. You know, Christianity is life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. But not only is Christianity life, Christianity is a way of life. And part of that way of life is church. Now today, some say and at least act as if the church is irrelevant and that the church is unnecessary. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ himself is the originator of the church. First time you find the word church is in the book of Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Our Lord Jesus Christ died for his church on an old rugged cross. The Bible says on the day of Pentecost, He sent down the Holy Spirit to indwell the church. And the Bible says, just as sure as I'm standing here, someday, soon without sin and unto salvation, Jesus Christ is coming back 
for His church. So I want to show you tonight from the Word of God why I feel like there is no substitute for the church in your life. First of all, I want to say something about the head of the church. The head of the church. Now, I just want to solve a problem right here because their church is right now debating. There's division and they're squabbling trying to decide who's going to run the church and be in charge of the church. And I just want to tell you right up front, it's a very simple thing for me to express and explain. Jesus is the head of the church. Now, I want to tell you why I believe that. It's because what the Bible says. I'm not making this stuff up. I say he's the head of the church because he owns the church. Notice the Bible says in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Well, folks, we're saved by the blood of Jesus. I mean, that paid our sin debt on the cross. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews and another place, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It says in 1 John chapter 1, we walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The Bible says we have been brought near or nigh to God by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says in the book of the Revelation that the saints of God overcame the attacks of Satan by the word of their testimony, loved not their life unto death, but also by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to tell you tonight, there is power in the blood of Jesus. Now I want to tell you the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is precious. That blood that flowed from the brow where his skin was pierced by that crown of thorns, the blood that flowed from his back, where it was scourged with that Roman cat of nine tails, the blood that flowed from his hands and his feet and his side. I want you to know that was the blood that satisfied the wrath of God against your sins and self. And I want you to know it was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that purchased for you a full, forever, unconditional pardon. Now, having said all that, I think it's an amazing thing that the Apostle Paul said in the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 that the church was bought or purchased with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever owns it is the boss. Whoever owns it calls the shots. Whoever owns it sets the agenda. Whoever owns it puts the program in place. So without a shadow of a doubt, I know that Jesus is the head of the church because he owns it. He purchased it with his own blood. I'll tell you another reason why I know he's the head of the church, because our Lord Jesus Christ leads the church. We're not just out here groping in darkness. Man, we've got a leader, a shepherd. The Bible says in verse 20, I love this, by a new. And that word new there means freshly slain. Now, in the Old Testament, when they were going to bring that lamb for sacrifice, they didn't just find some old poor broken down lamb over here that's all, it's all sick and blemished. The Bible says they, they didn't get some old broken down old sheep over here, some old goat over here to sacrifice, but it was a new lamb and a spotless lamb. And so the Bible is speaking here of the cross. 
that Jesus Christ was sinless when he went there to make our sacrifice. It says a new, a freshly slain and living way because Jesus, who was nailed to the cross and was buried in the tomb, did not stay dead, but on Easter Sunday morning, up from the grave, he arose. And so the church comes together, not to have a funeral service, but a celebration that our Lord Jesus Christ is alive forevermore and has led us as his children into the very presence of a holy God because when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, the unseen hands of God reached down and the Bible says the temple veil which separated sinners from a holy God was torn not from the bottom up or the middle down, but from the top down because Calvary wasn't plan B. It was foreordained and predestined by a holy God as the only way we'll get saved. And when he ripped that veil in two, it also symbolized that Christ's body was going to be ripped as he died in agony and shame. But it also symbolized the fact that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he removed every obstacle that's prevented us from standing on holy ground in the presence of God. So when we come to God's house on God's day to worship Him by the blood of the Lamb, we are led into the presence of God and we stand on holy ground. He owns the church. He leads the church. And then notice this. The Bible teaches us He rules the church. We run around and say, well, the church is a democracy. No, it's not. It's a theocracy which is led by Jesus Christ himself. Notice the Bible says in verse 21, and having a high priest over, over the house of God. So I just want to tell you something tonight, my friend. Jesus Christ is the boss. Jesus Christ is the captain. Jesus Christ is in charge. And there doesn't need to be any debate, doesn't need to be any division, and there doesn't need to be any strife. We just need to get out of the way and let him be himself, let him set the pace and follow him in his mission of mercy to touch a lost and dying world with his precious gospel. So I just want to say, I want to make sure you understand that there's no man that is the head of the church. There's no committee that's the head of the church. There's no denomination that's the head of the church. There's no pope, there's no bishop, there's no priest, there's no prophet, there's no apostle. I want to tell you the head of the church is King Jesus himself. Just no substitute for church. But not only do I want to say something about the head of the church, I also want to say something about the life of the church. The most alive place in this community ought to be this church. Uh, you know, there's shows on TV now, they're very popular. They've been on for some time. And uh, the, these, these, these shows are about zombies and uh, about, the, about the living dead. You know, somebody says, I'm watching the, the living dead or the walking dead. And I'm not impressed by that at all. I told somebody, I said, well, I've been dealing with the living dead since 1979 when I took my first church. 
church shouldn't be dead. Now, I just want to ask you, why is it we can go out on Friday night and scream blood makes the grass grow, kill, kill, and do somersaults and root for a bunch of guys pushing an oblong ball up down a cow pasture? We can go back to a college game on Saturday afternoon, make our way out to a stadium to watch an NFL team, be all stirred up and excited about baseball and basketball and basket weaving and clogging and everything else under the sun. Why is it wrong to come into the house of God and to worship the living God, because even though you may be dead, God's not dead for goodness sakes. Well, so what are we supposed to be doing when we come to church? Well, look, it's right here in the Word of God. First of all, the Bible says in verse 22, we're to be drawing near to God. That's what the Bible says. And notice this, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We're not coming to church to be entertained. We're coming to church to draw near to God. This is the place where there is a, a nearness, a, a drawing, a manifestation of the presence of God that is special and unique to the body of Christ and the church. But how do, you, how do you draw near to God? Well, look what the Word says. The Bible says you've got to have a true heart. You can't be a hypocrite and draw near to God. And a hypocrite's a pretender, somebody playing like it, somebody going around here talking about how they're big, bad Baptist, and all they is is big and bad. Let me tell you something, my friend. The Bible teaches us that we're to be real and we're to be genuine, and you can't fake God out. So you can't be a hypocrite and draw near to God. So that right there, right now, tonight, when the invitation is given, friend, if there's some stuff in your life where you've been trying to fake everybody out and you know you're not right, you ought to get on your knees tonight and say, God, I want, I want the Holy Spirit of the living God to bring me to a place of reality and get all the phony baloney out of me. But look what the Word says. The Bible says we draw near with the true heart with full assurance of faith. You can't draw near to God if you're not sure you're saved. Now, I want to tell you some folks, you can be sure you're saved, and you should be sure you're saved. And the evidence of salvation is not simply a date on a calendar. There's a lot of people that says, oh, my goodness sakes, I was saved in 1942 in an, in an old Ford sitting under a big oak tree and outside of Paris, Texas, and, and, I, and, and you're living, you, there's no evidence in your life right now that Jesus Christ is your Savior. So I believe there's a time and a place in everybody's life who is truly saved when they pass from death into life. But you want assurance? Is there any evidence right now in your life that you're a child of God? What about your attitude? What about your outlook? What about your spiritual appetite? Do you have any desire for the things of God? When there's death in your eyes, no appetite for the things of God. When the Word bores you stiff, you need to examine yourself and make sure you're in the faith. So I don't want to hope I'm saved or think I'm saved. I, 
I know I'm saved. You know, I don't want to hope I'm married. I mean, some brother Herbert, you married? And I say, well, I think I am. Are you married? Well, I hope I am. You say, how do you know you's married? Well, I was there and it happened, man. Man of God stood up there and said to my wife, do you take him? She said, I do. I said, I'm done. And he pronounced his husband and wife. And we went on. Let, let me tell you something, my friend. I don't know what happened to you, but I'll tell you what happened to me. Jesus Christ touched my heart, convinced me I was going to hell, and only he could save me. And I received Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And when Jesus Christ saved me, I want you to know I got someone in me, and it's not me, it's him, the living Christ. Now, you listen, there was a little girl... I went, was going home with her mom this walking home from church. She said, Mom, I'm a little confused. She said, they taught me at church. They said that God's so big, so wide you can't go around him. He's so big you can't jump over him. Said that the earth is his footstool. He's so big. But then they said in another, you know, that, that, that Jesus is God and he's living in my heart, so God's living in me. So I'm, I'm confused because if God is so big, you can't jump over him and you, you can't get around him, but he's living in me. Shouldn't he be poking out somewhere? Well, I, well, I want to ask you something, my friend. If Jesus is in you, he ought to be poking out somewhere. He ought to be poking out on that face of yours, my friend. He ought to be poking out in your attitude. He ought to be poking out in your conduct and your actions. I'll tell you something, if you're going to draw near to God, and it's right here in the Bible. And notice what the Word says. The Bible says that you've got to you gotta, you got to have that evil conscience cleared by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, and I won't, I won't dwell here. I'm just going to say, if you, if, if you live your life as a Christian, you've got a grudge and you've got, you got bitterness in your heart, that is going to keep you from drawing near to God. And I don't know who hurt you or wounded you. You, you. you acting like you're the only person that's ever been hurt, ever been wounded. I've been pastoring a Southern Baptist church since 1979. I took my first church senior pastor when I was 23 years ago, and I've had folks be mean to me, talk mean to me, look mean at me, write mean stuff to me, and I'm not spending my life staying mad at them. You know, it takes effort to stay mad. I'm not saying I don't get mad. I was in Costco the other day, and I was minding my own business, but it was around the holidays, you know, when everybody was a shoving and a pushing. I'm just going to tell you right now, it don't take a lot to make me happy. I love Costco hot dogs. They got the best, they're giant hot dogs. They've got the best hot dogs. I think it's like for $2 and maybe a dollar and a half. It's not much. You get that big hot dog, and you get a drink and free refills. And I'm telling you what, I was, I had the buggy. We checked out, and everybody was lining up, and one lady felt like folks was, was cutting in line, and, and, and she was was real mad at one lady and I was kind of coming along the same path but I was heading over there to the table to sit down because my wife was getting the, the hot dogs stuff put on the hot dogs and she started yelling that lady you're, you know you're cutting in line and she looked at me don't you know there are two lines I said lady all I'm trying to do is get a hot dog <laughs> I'm not mad at her or nothing I just I just said it I'm just trying to get a hot dog now, let me ask you, did you know, I'm not saying I don't get mad, but I, it's the weirdest thing, I can't stay mad. If I'm going to tell somebody off, I have to do it real quick after I get mad, because if I wait a little while, I just, it just all seeps out of me. So here you are with a grudge and bitterness, and you want me to tell you why you've got a grudge and bitterness? Because you've been working at staying mad, and it's not worth it. 
You say, Brother Herb, what should I do? Forget it. It's not worth it. It's killing your Christian life. It's quenching the Holy Spirit. You can't even draw near to God and worship. Tell you something else. The Bible says when we come to church, not only are we supposed to draw near to God, but like this, the Bible says in verse 23, we're supposed to hold fast. Let me tell you what those two words mean in the Greek New Testament, hold fast. It means to stay. Man, you need to get in a church and stay there. I've been in the same church for 27 years. You say, how did you do that? I just decided to stay. That's where God wanted me to be. And so you need to get in a church and you need to stay there. And people should not have to baby you, have to write you cards if you miss two weeks. And I mean, if you're in the hospital for 55 minutes and somehow they overlook like that, don't be mad. You didn't die. You're alive. You made it home. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for you. The Bible says, Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We're supposed to hold fast, and we're supposed to give other people hope. And when people come to the house of God, we're to speak words of hope to them. And I want to tell you, I got hope tonight. I got hope because of the promises of God. It speaks of that promise right there. It uses that word promise right in that verse. I got, I've got hope because of the providence of God. All things are working together for good. And I've got a hope because of the promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ. I have that blessed hope. I have the hope of heaven when I die. I am filled with hope. And let me tell you something. Never underestimate the power of a word of hope that is spoken to a broken, discouraged believer. So when you come to the house of God, you're supposed to draw near to God. When you come to the house of God, you're supposed to hold fast and give folks hope. And then notice what the Bible says. Now look at verse 24. You're supposed to stir up love. I want to make sure y'all get this. Do you see it there in the Word of God? Do you see where it says stir up love? Verse 24, do you see? Do you see would you at least nod your, even if you don't, would you just nod your head so I can move on? Okay, now I don't care what translation you got. There is not a translation here tonight that says, because I think this is the way you've been interpreting this. It does not say stir up trouble. It does not say stir up a stink. It does not say stir up strife. It says stir up love and good works. Well, the only way I can stir everybody else up is i got to be stirred up. So I made a decision when I started in the ministry, I was not going to be one of those folks when I got on up there in my 60s and began, which I, I'm 61 years old as of this past June, I wasn't going to begin to wind down. I might not move quite as fast. You might hear a little snap, crackle, and pop when I'm walking up here. But I want to tell you, I'm just as excited about Jesus Christ tonight as I am. I was when I was 23 years old and just starting out. I want you to know I'm just as thrilled about being saved tonight as I was when I first got the call to preach and stood up and preached my first sermon. I, I want to tell you, my friend, as a pastor of a church, I can't be used by God to stir them up unless I'm stirred up. But I'm stirred up tonight, friend. What, what stirs me up? What I've been reading about right here, I'm stirred up 
because of the blood of Jesus. I'm stirred up because I've been drawn near to God. I'm stirred up because the veil has been ripped in two. I'm stirred up because I have access to the throne room. I'm stirred up because I'm not going to hell. I'm stirred up because I'm going to heaven. I'm stirred up because Jesus is coming soon. I'm stirred up because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm more stirred up than that martini you've been drinking on Friday night. Said something about the head of the church. Said something about the life of the church. But I also want to say something about the necessity of the church. Then it's an absolute necessity in your life as a believer. Absolute necessity. Look at what the word says in verse 25. Not forsaking. That word forsaking means to let down or abandon. Let me tell you why some of these folks were forsaking the church. Well, they were abandoning the church. Now, I'm not going to get into all the excuses people are doing it, you know, maybe in your church, because there's something in the youth program that made your perfect teenager upset. So instead of you leading the family, the kid leads you as a family, and so now y'all going to uproot and go somewhere else. And, or I don't, somebody didn't shake your hand, or you wanted to sing a solo. You say, Brother Herb, why won't they sing, let me sing a solo in church? Because you can't sing. It's as simple as that. <laughs> Nothing to be heard over. We got all these excuses. You want me to tell you why these Christians that the letter of the Hebrews is going to? Let me, let me tell you why they were forsaking the church. Persecution. Because to, to be a part of church, that meant you might lose your life. So if he said persecution is no excuse to abandon the church, I don't think your excuse measures up. The Bible says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now that word assemble there is a word in the Greek New Testament that is connected to the word synagogue. And a synagogue was a place of visible local congregational worship. So when he talks about assembling here, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, he's talking about you abandoning or forsaking or letting down or ignoring a local assembly, this local assembly of baptized believers. And, and, and let, me, let me explain to you why it is so necessary for you to assemble because there are some things that happen here in a church that aren't going to happen anywhere else. First of all, you're going to experience the presence of Christ in corporate worship like you'll never experience it by yourself. You can worship God in your deer stand. You can worship God in your bass boat. You can worship God in your Bible study group that meets on Thursday night. But let me tell you, my friend, when a congregation gathers together on the Lord's day, the Holy Spirit of the living God will manifest among them in that congregational worship the manifested presence of Jesus. And I know He's always here, but when we come together, He literally breaks out and we feel the touch of his nail-scarred hand. You're not going to get that anywhere else. Tell you what else we experience when we assemble together as a church, that's passion and worship. 
Now, I know you can worship when you're watching that guy on TV on Friday. I know you can worship God, as I said, when you're standing at the beach watching the sunset. But I want to tell you, when you come into the house of God and there's corporate worship, it raises worship to a whole new level of intensity. When an assembly of believers gathers with one heart as they draw near to God and they begin to lift up their hearts in worship, I want you to know there is a punch. There is a passion. There is an oomph in that worship that you'll never find apart from church. Why, why do you need to be a part of church? What will you experience? You experience encouragement in congregational worship. Because Brother Malcolm said there's so much bad news out there and sometimes you feel you're the only one but man as soon as I step foot on the campus and I see those people gathering and they're carrying their Bibles and we gather in the house of God and we're singing these great gospel songs and the words being preached and people are saying amen. All of a sudden I'm encouraged and I'm strengthened. I thought, no, I'm not crazy and I'm not the only one that believes that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven and the word of God is true that there's a hell to shut and a heaven to gain. I'm encouraged by all of these people gathering to worship. But I want to tell you why you need to come to church. Let me, let me tell you why it's a necessity for you to assemble together as believers is because you will experience there the ministry of the Word of God like it can't be experienced anywhere else. I'm talking about the preaching of the Word. Now, I believe in the gift of teaching, but the preaching of the Word is a little different. You see, preaching not only fills people with truth, but preaching thrills people with truth. Preaching motivates. Preaching confronts. Preaching inspires. Preaching the Word of God pierces the heart, the lethargy, our ruts, and our routines. And I'm telling you, my friend, there is no substitute for a Christian in their life of discipleship than to be in God's house and a man of God, a lone man of God, standing there with his Bible open, plugged into heaven and preaching. Let me tell you, you, in, you I'm from Texas and you are Texans and you'll understand what I've been trying to say to those folks down the deep south. I'm talking about a man of God that'll stand up there and shuck the corn and shell the peas and preach the Word of God like there is no tomorrow. Because there may be no tomorrow. And you won't get that anywhere else except in an assembly of believers that wants to magnify the Word. Now, some of you, you for whatever reason, you showed up tonight, but you sort of dropped out. You sort of abandoned the church. And uh, you had a bad experience, you know, and you, you've, you've abandoned the church. I, I want to give you, I just want to give you a final reason why you shouldn't. Now, I want you to notice the very last part of that 25th verse. The Bible says, and so much the more as you see the, with a capital D day approaching. Now, what's he talking about there? He's talking about the rapture. He connects the assembling of believers to the rapture. Now that word assembling, in verse 25 you see there in Hebrews 10, that word translated there assembling is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's found over in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 1 in the context of the rapture. The Bible says, Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together. That word gathering there is the same word assembling over there. You, you understand what I'm talking about here? The rapture, that great gathering. 
that one of these days Jesus Christ, the head of the church, is going to come down through the heavens and he's going to rapture before the tribulation commences. He is going to assemble. He is going to gather together his children and as a great congregation, he is going to carry us away up there in heaven and as an assembly of redeemed, glorified believers, we will worship him forever. It says we're going to be gathered. Same word, assemble. So listen. When you come to church on the Lord's Day, you picture the raptured who are assembled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Those of you that don't show up, you picture those that are left behind. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be be left behind. That's why I got saved. And I don't want to picture those that are left behind. I want to be in church fired up on Sunday because I'm picturing with my fellow Christians that moment in time when Jesus Christ says, Enough is enough, and I'm not coming down to take sides. I'm coming down to take over, and he's going to reach his nail-scarred hand, take a hold of his bride, yank us off of planet Earth, and we're going to land safely on the shores of sweet deliverance forever. That's the crowd that I want to picture. So all I know to say in addition to what I've said, I want to I charge you to do all you can every time you can, for as long as you can, for the love of Jesus through the ministry of your local church. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Our heads are bowed, eyes closed. Let's all reverently stand to our feet. I'm going to ask for the Mark Trammell and and the Mark Trammell Quartet if they come and sing something for us during this decision time. I'm going to ask our pastor, Brother Charles, to come here tonight. And we've got several churches represented. We're not... If you want to join this church, that's great. But if you're from another church, we're we're not here about that. We want you to get a touch from God tonight. But you know, there's somebody that just needs to come down here again to this altar and say, you know what, Lord, I need to start praying for the church that I'm a part of. Or Lord, I need to become I need to become a participant. Lord, I I, I need to give I, I need to just get my attitude right and get straight and get my head screwed on right so I can draw near to you, Lord, on Sunday, but with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Holy Spirit of God, move in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, if you need to get saved, Brother Charles tell you how to get saved. These altars are open, and the guy's going to ask you to sing whatever you feel led, and as they sing, you come right now.